for most of our first 100 plus episodes, we pretty much start out the same way. Either I'll begin something like, what is good, everybody? Or Philly will start with something out of like a 90s Budweiser commercial or Freddie Prince Jr. movie like, what's up, Defenders? But in honor of a very special guest today, we thought we would begin the show in a manner more to his and Philly, if we're really being honest, much more to our liking as well. So for our special guest, for Larry, this intro is for you. Ladies and gentlemen, this episode is scheduled for one guest. Making their way to the ring, your hosts for episode 103. In one corner, broadcasting from the world-famous Villa Monster Studios in Burbank, California, the beast from the East Coast, Philly Christian Philemon. And his co-host across the mic, hailing from Los Angeles, California, the mouth of the South Bay, J.R. Liebert, the Scarf. They are the newest podcast to 100 episodes, Defenders of the Bank. Howard Finkel, wherever you are, I'm sure you got goosebumps and the hairs <laughs> on your arm have probably raised. Today on episode 103, we have a very special guest. Lately, we've been fortunate to have a few special guests, but this special guest is different. On today's show, we have a man who is not only a titan in the world of sports, but a titan, a titan in the boardroom. A man who was strong enough to brave multiple winners in the city of Chicago. A man whose love of football came at a time where loving football made you a pariah, an outcast. A man who followed his desire to be a goalkeeper, even though he was a mere five foot six. The man who had the aptitude to succeed as a terrier at Boston University and get his law degree from UCLA. A man who has had a tremendous amount of success in corporate America. And a man who has helped put LAFC on the global map. Ladies and gentlemen, the reigning, defending, undisputed 2019 Doug Hamilton, executive of the year in the MLS, Larry, the legend. Friedman, welcome to Defenders, Larry. I think we should stop right there. <laughs> I don't know that anything could get as good as that. <laughs> if, 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 if only you had noted that I was hailing from parts unknown. Right? Oh, see, I wanted to throw that. Let me tell you, that's my favorite of all the introductions. For, for those of you that are listening to this episode going, oh, my God, what are the Defenders up to now? Obviously, first of all, we have Larry Friedman on. It's an incredible honor to have Larry on, but we, Larry and the two of us, we trade WWF memes and stories and, and everything back and forth on, on social media, and when we see each other in person, it was it was a con conversation between Larry and us that got us to dress up like the way we did last year for, for one of our tailgates. We're, we're big WWF, not so much WWE, but we can, we can dab a little bit in there, but WWF fans, so that's why we started this the way that we did Larry. Thank you so much for coming on episode 103 of Defenders of the Bank, my friend. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you for entertaining me for 102 episodes, mm -hmm. and hopefully I can help you do the same for the millions and millions <laughs> out there listening uh, for episode 103, but uh, my pleasure, my honor. Oh, thanks so much. Um, you know, Larry, the the first question, and Philly, Philly, I want you to start off with the first question. It, it usually was we talk about this for our last few episodes. Now, it usually was kind of a throwaway question just to get our guests talking and and kind of see how they're doing. But it's taken on a little bit more meaning 
now that over the last three months or so. So Philly? Yeah, I mean, you said it. The world has changed tremendously. And I'm going to ask you, like you said, something so basic. How are you doing? And how have you been over the course of the past three months? Well, um, I'm feeling better now seeing you live and in person, Philly, because there there was a period there in quarantine where I, I thought you were just going to drink so much alcohol <laughs> that you might just float away. But uh, <laughs> seriously, um, look, uh, as it has been for you guys, everybody, it, it's been a challenge. Uh, the uncertainty has been um, difficult. You know, the the thought that we're basically three months into this now, you know, almost to the day. And just before we all got sent home, we were all planning on continuing our run, making history in CONCACAF Champions League yep. against Cruz Azul. Yep. And so... It's been an interesting evolution with, you know, do you leave the house? Do you just order stuff in? And now things are 90 days into this feeling like there's forward motion to opening up and, you know, some restaurants are opening. Uh, some businesses are getting back at it. We're going to Disney there you uh, go. <laughs> for, the, for this tournament. And, you know, small steps meant so much and and you know to think that the idea of four of LAFC's players reporting to our performance center <laughs> to practice by themselves in their own little quadrant don't pass the ball to the other guy <laughs> would be considered you know like a Neil Armstrong one small step for man <laughs> one giant right? leap from mankind but right. at, in the moment that's kind of what it felt like and now you know we're back to f basically full team training which is great and it's just been it's been a real adventure um you know becoming part of a work at home workforce and watching the various groups and departments and individuals within our club find new and different ways to engage you know alex sale and everything he's been doing yep. with the mls yeah uh, max and vince have really uh stepped up with the content the full 90 on sunday with pat rich marcus and just the way everyone has really gone out of the way out of their way to engage and stay connected and and it's really a testament to the beauty of the community that we've all built together and the and the friendships and the bonds that have been created that you know i think at top of mind for everybody has been all right well we're all kind of stuck but what can we do together sure How can we make the best of this together and so that has been um interesting i think it's been great and it's something that i think we're all kind of proud of and everybody who's been active participants uh in the club should be proud of because we have tried our best to make the best of the situation and you know be ready to come back strong in whatever way and in whatever form that might be 
And, and, you know, the interesting part is layered on top of that now has been this movement that's that's going on, not just in Minnesota or in Los Angeles or in the United States, but around the world. The Black Lives Matter movement, the, you know, the, the civil rights, the protesting and everything. And and we've seen LAFC become such a large part or at least trying yep. to become such a large part of that movement as well, especially the petition regarding Juneteenth and everything that they're done in the community. You know, what can you say about what it's meant to be a part of this club at this moment, too, and especially what they've been doing during this time? Sure. So, look, you know, from the beginning, at the beginning of the beginning, the core of this club was to unite the world city through the world's game and the notion that everybody was welcome in our club. And, you know, that has, we, we have felt good about the progress we have made over the five plus years since, you know, October of 2014 in being as inclusive and progressive as possible. And, you know, we often say that, you know, if you look in the stands at one of our matches, the stands are reflective of this beautiful melting pot of a city and a region in Southern California. But, you know, in current times with current issues and, you know, really doing some, you know, listening more than anything, but as part of that listening, um, partaking in some pretty difficult conversations, you realize that while you might have done okay, yeah, you, you haven't done enough. Right. And, you know, that's reflective in if you look at the demographics of our fan base, you know, in some reflects in some respects reflective of our city and our community, some respects, you know, not quite. And we have to be better about that. And the same thing is an organization. Um, you know, we we have a diverse workforce but if you dig into the math um you know we haven't done as well as we could have and should have and we have to be better and you know it it's also been a good learning and listening exercise for you know tom penn and myself and john thorrington because while we feel like we have been completely open and we have tried to be as inclusive as possible, you can't get away from the fact that when you look at the upper tier of executives at our club, it is white males across the board. And sure. we've got to be better. And we have done, we have been taking steps. Um, led by our assistant general manager, Will Koontz, and our VP and creative director extraordinaire, Marcus McDougall. Um, Those two gentlemen have been front and center uh, leading the conversation at the club. And we know that we need to be better 
in our house. And at the same time, we have to be part of what's going on in the community to address these issues and not to go too far off. But, you know, as a guy who is a bit older than the two of you <laughs> and was born in the early 1960s, um, I have, even though I was young, I have lived through a lot and seen a lot. And the recognition that as a 57-year-old guy, I live in a country that possibly has taken steps backwards over the course of my lifetime. You yeah. know, if we want to measure progress, yeah, I, I don't know that we have progressed because, you know, you look back in time and whether it was the mid-60s and the civil rights movement and riots at the Democratic National Convention in the city of Chicago and, you know, Martin Luther King's assassination and, 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 and you say, all right, well, what were the issues then? And how yeah. have we become better? I, I honestly don't know that we have. And, and that is a, that's a stark realization. And, you know, from this, we have some strong voices in our club, whether it's Mark Anthony Kay, uh, Dio, Will, Marcus, Tara Hicks on our legal team, and, 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 um, you know, it's been, it's been um, moving, impressive, and important that folks throughout our club have felt empowered to stand up and speak their mind and, you know, tackle all of this head on. So this is going to be a process, right? It's not a one conversation or a one initiative. This is a commitment across the board and it's going to take time and some of the strongest and most impactful messages I have heard from friends and colleagues I have talked about this with is you got to promise me one thing and that is that when this smooths out and people aren't marching in the streets, whether that's in a week or a month or three months or whenever it is, don't forget about this. Right. And don't stop talking about it and don't stop working on it. So got a lot of work ahead, boys. That's for sure. That's for sure. So we, we're really good at smooth segues here. So we're going to smoothly segue from that conversation into a, a question about ha have there been any new hobbies or skills or passion projects that you've pursued during quarantine? Anything that you've taken up? Do you know how to crochet yet? That is a great, great question. <laughs> and I am the master of picking up some things and just not seeing them through. And, it, and this is another <laughs> one of those times where I'm looking at you guys thinking, you know, God damn it. If I had just kept up with the hour a day of the Spanish, right? We're ninety days in. I'd probably be, you know, at least better instead of uh, my my younger son actually is um, fluent in Spanish and spent some time working in baseball in the Dominican Republic, and you know blows me incredible amounts of <laughs> because <laughs> I can I can say manzana and leche and baño. <laughs> and 
you know, that's about it. Right. And, and, you know, at various points, especially along this journey, it, you know, getting involved with LAFC and MLS and, you know, you have people like Will Koontz and John Thornton who are bilingual and you realize that, wow, it probably would be a real asset if I could have a conversation in Spanish, whether it's with Carlos or whomever, um, but I just can't stay on the track. So I think the only thing that I can say was put on the board at the beginning of quarantine that I've done an okay job with is there were a number of things around the house that uh, Sherry Friedman put on a list and said, (laughs) you know, if you just kind of do this one room at a time, you know, you'll get to the end. So I've been okay at that, but I, I'm kind of disappointed because it's one of those things where, you know, at the beginning of it, it's like, all right, make some personal time, learn to play the guitar like Philly, learn some <laughs> Spanish, whatever. And I just, I've been a complete failure. That's, well, you know, I, I, I think you're being a little too hard on yourself, Larry, because in this time, you know, you mentioned everybody within the club doing things, but you also are providing content. So you are developing a new skill prior to your show with Jordan Harvey. You were a guest on Heart of LAFC and, and FCFC and, 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 and multiple other pods. But you became a host, which a lot of people don't necessarily do. So, I, again, I think you're being too hard on yourself. In addition to that, it's never too late. We don't know this how long we're quarantined, so you still can pick up that guitar. You still can pick up that language. On your way to Orlando, hell, you can download Rosetta Stone and start practicing <laughs> your Spanish that way. It's never too late, Larry. And by the way, thank you for the new content that you and Jordan are providing. Well, well, thank you for that. Um, unfortunately, the the guest list is pretty tight for Orlando. So I will be here in greater Los Angeles with you kids watching from afar. But um, yeah, the the shooting the shot with Jordan has been a hoot and a half. Um, <laughs> I think we've learned a little bit the hard way, although, you know, he knew this already from back to back with Beta. You know, it, it's not all in it's not all fun and games. If you're going to do it right, you have to prep. And, you know, he and I have kind of worked our way into a process for how we, you know, individually kind of do our work and then put it together and work it through and try and have some level of structure to the whole thing. And I've told you guys this um, because there's a lot of podcast content out there. One of the things that I felt set you two apart from the beginning was that, there was some structure and rhythm to your shows. And while Freeform is interesting, and I'm probably taking you guys on far too many drunken walks during this <laughs> conversation because it's what I do, that structure and certain segments or bits that you know you knew were always going to come, like this day in LAF's history, LAFC history, which you guys do, you know, make for, at least for me as a huge fan of yours, you know, more easily and pleasurable, uh, more easily digestible and pleasurable content. 
Well, thank you. That's yeah, you know that means you. a lot. Obviously, from someone who ingests a lot of sports content, it's really nice to know that you're listening. We really do appreciate that. Uh, you know, let me ask you: from Korean baseball to cornhole to cheese wheel rolling, you know, so <laughs> many different leagues and sports have come to the forefront in this pandemic. I personally, I feel like I know more about the KBO now than I ever would have. Has there have there been any leagues or sports that have kind of sucked you in over this time that you've picked up? I cannot get over the fact that cornhole <laughs> is a professional sport that is being broadcast on national television. You know, it's not just that thing that people are doing while they're having a gin and tonic at some bar out on a patio or, you know, out in the family zone at a minor league ballpark in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Right. It's on national television <laughs> and little did we know um, but we've learned from the play-by-play and the color analyst <laughs> that there are different types of those bags. Right. There's two sides to the bag. There's all kinds of strategy and terminology. And you, ch- I, I, I can't look away. <laughs> I just can't look away because I truly just can't get over it. I cannot get over it. I'm not going to lie. I watched the guy make 28 in a row and I was mesmerized by what was going on there. It was incredible. You're absolutely right, man. You should mention that because like our buddy Rob from the band Suicidal Tendencies texted me last night and he was literally at a cornhole watch party yesterday. sending me pictures. (laughs) I'm like, Rob, what are you doing? He's like, this is what it's come down to, man. I miss football. (laughs) It's, it's, It's just unbelievable. And I just, it makes me wonder, because as a kid growing up way back then, you know, the sports content wasn't there, right? Right. You know, um, all of the Chicago Blackhawks games weren't on TV. All of the Bulls games weren't on TV. You know, there there was a feeling among a lot of sports owners at the time, like if you put the home games on TV, nobody will show up. And so you took what you could get, and I spent a lot of time watching ABC's Wide World of Sports, and it was, you know, Vasily Alexiev, the Russian strongman doing deadlifts, and it was Earl Anthony bowling, and it was professional rodeo. And I got to believe, like, if Cornhole had been a part of that, (laughs) I, I I would have had a long history watching uh, professional cornhole. That's yeah, for sure. That's for sure, man. That's unbelievable. And it's and it feels like you know ESPN does that thing once a year, or at least they used to, called the Ocho, right? The the whole take on on dodgeball. It feels like every day during quarantine on ESPN has been the Ocho. It's unbelievable. Yes, yes. <laughs> and and look, if you if you go back in time to early ESPN, it's almost like they're getting back to their roots a little bit because in the beginning it was a lot of. Um, you know, aerobicize type, you know, half hour, hour exercise shows, but, you know, a lot of world's strongest man and, you know, Irish hurling, curling, you know, those kind of things. It wasn't mainstream, you know, North American sport. Yep. Yeah. 
And, and speaking of like, you know, what football was like back in the day, I mean, Larry, you grew up in Illinois and you loved this sport before it was cool. You loved football when the Cosmos reigned supreme in the NASL. You grew up a fan of the Chicago Sting, which, by the way, they still have really cool T-shirts that they sell on, <laughs> online. I own um, one. <laughs> uh, there, there you go. Our buddy Joel does, too. They're sweet. But why did you fall in love with the world's game during a time when, I mean, you'd, you'd be considered like a, a pariah? Why, what was it about the world's game that sucked you in? It, it was a combination of the fact that it was something that gym teachers would, you know, it was an easy answer for gym teachers. Well, what am I going to do with all these kids during class? I'm going to throw a ball out on a field <laughs> and I'm going to divide them in half and it's that easy. Right. Um, so played, you know, at that level in that setting um, from a pretty early age and enjoyed it and, and always gravitated, whether it was in street hockey or soccer, always gravitated to the front of a net for some reason. Um, <laughs> And that's probably, you know, many years of therapy to figure out what that's all about. Um, and then, you know, there were we would catch on some of the off stations in Chicago, um, Mexican League or Liga Max soccer uh, in Spanish. And again, in a world where that might be the only sports that you could find to watch. You watched it and enjoyed it. And then I'm not sure exactly what year it was that the Sting entered uh, the North American Soccer League. But then it was so cool because you could go. And I think at that time, you know, mid, late 70s, you might not have known anything about the global game of football, but pretty much everybody knew who Pele was. Sure. And, right. And then sure enough, he comes to the U.S. to play for the Cosmos. And in relatively, you know, rapid succession, the biggest names in the global game are coming to the North American Soccer League. You know, Johan Cruyff came over, Gerd Mueller, yep. uh, Beckenbauer, Georgie Best. Yeah. Um, and Canalia, who, mm -hmm. whether whether his level of play was up there, his level of personality was definitely <laughs> up there. Right. And so, you know, it was pretty awesome. And, you know, the the ability to go and see these guys play. And you know how it is. You're you're it's one thing to idolize somebody from a, a across the world or across an ocean. It's a very different thing to go sit in the bleachers at Wrigley Field and, you know, watch these guys play and try not to kill themselves running over the pitcher's mound. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, fell in love with the game and was playing in high school and you know, one of the older guys who was a goalkeeper found his way to Indiana for camp in the summer and came back like, you know, his life had changed. And so, you know, there was no way I wasn't going to go down there. And it was a great experience. And a number of those guys like uh, 
Rudy Glenn yeah. ended up not only playing in the North American Soccer League, but ended up on the Chicago Sting. So, you know, it was one of those kind of full circle experiences. I think Charlie Ficus uh, also was an Indiana guy who ended up on the Chicago Sting. Mark Simonton, same, same. Um, so just, uh, you know, it was a very cool experience. And it was also interesting. I go to Indiana. I had always I had been learning to play the game from a soccer coach who was coaching soccer because he could make a few thousand extra bucks by doing it. He was a gym teacher and he had been a, a wrestler, a division one wrestler at Northwestern. Mm. And so the sum total of the teaching was kick it and chase it. Just <laughs> kick it as far as you can kick it and chase it. And then you know, to go down to Indiana and the coach that they had my first summer down there that worked with the goalkeepers was the head coach at Dartmouth at the time. And it was all about teaching keepers to fly and like changed my life. It was really an incredible experience. And so then, you know, to end up decades later, where I'm in the minor league baseball business with Peter Goober and he keeps wandering down the hall saying, I might do this. I might do this. Um, and then it happened. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, let's ask, let's get a little bit further back before we, we go down that meandering path about how, first of all, you got into Oklahoma city and then, you know, we'll get to there in a second, but yeah. you go from the world of, corporate America, the world of law, like how did you get into law in the first part? You know, we, we mentioned you got your degree from UCLA law and, and, you know, obviously your time at Boston university led you down the, the law path as well. How did you first get into law? Was it something your parents kind of pushed you into? Did you find law? Why law? No. So I was, you know, my parents did not go to college. Um, very few people in my family across the board had gone to college and the law thing was just a crazy and I didn't know any lawyer. So other than, you know, whatever I saw on television as a kid, right. I just decided at eight years old, seven years old, I'm, I'm going to go to law school. And it stuck. If only my Spanish <laughs> aspirations had stuck um, like the law school thing. So I just ended up going. Really, it was what I told myself I was going to do. And, you know, it was always on the board when I was in undergrad, I was going to go to law school. And then I did. And then I realized that it wasn't exactly the career that um, was going to make me happy. Yeah. So that led to other that things. Led. Yeah. I mean, during your career, I mean, did you actually envision entering the sports world or was it just something no, that happened? No. And, and, you know, now when we have an opportunity, you know, to speak either individually or in a group setting to younger folks who are, you know, at Syracuse university in their sport management program, you know, I always say like you, you as a group 
are decades ahead of me because seriously, once it became clear to me that I was going to live a life as a height-challenged person, (laughs) which in part is unfair because you know, my father was about six foot one. So I always expected I was going to be six foot, six, two, whatever. And actually my younger son is about six feet tall. So somehow it skipped a generation. Um, <laughs> but my, my vision and my thought about working in the world of sports kind of started and ended when I realized that I was not going to succeed the late, great Storm and Norman Van Leer is the point guard on the Chicago Bulls. And I, I never thought for two seconds, like, wait a minute, there's all this other stuff that happens in order to get to the point where they drop the puck or there's a tip off at the old Chicago Stadium. Who's doing all that? So it really just kind of came about as an opportunity, you know, decades into my career and I was at a point in my life where it looked like it might be fun. And I was looking to get out to California or get back to California. And it all just kind of dovetailed. So, so let me ask, after you know a good amount of time in the world of law and all of that, you, you head to a, a veritable mecca of the world of sports in Oklahoma City? Larry, how does it work? How do you go from, you know... How did so, you get to Oklahoma City? <laughs> yeah, so I did not get to Oklahoma City. What what happened was I moved out to L.A. in 2006. Okay. Um, got connected with a guy by the name of Howie Newchow, who at the time was the president of a company called Mandalay Baseball Properties. That was... Peter Goober and Paul Schaefer from Mandalay Entertainment, who, of course, both are involved in LAFC and some other folks. And Howie recruited me out to L.A. to join Mandalay Baseball and help them build and run this portfolio of affiliated minor league baseball teams. And at that time... The company owned the Pacific Coast League AAA team in Vegas, the 51. Yeah, the 51. And, you know, tried very hard to get out of the old Cashman Field and get into a new stadium. And after a number of years, that just didn't happen. And the the franchise was sold. And a couple of years later, um, we we had an equity partner out of New York, uh, the great Bill Luby, who I have attended the Bean Pot with. Nice. Uh, circling back to that prior conversation, I think that we had before we started recording. Um, and Bill had it in his mind that you know when the time came to sell the company, it would be cool if we had a AAA franchise in each of the AAA leagues. We had the Scranton Wilkesbury. Uh, Yankees, then Rail Riders in the Red international Mariners league, too. <laughs> and uh, it would it would be good if we were back in the Pacific Coast League and just you know had a franchise in each of the leagues at the highest level. So we ended up acquiring the Oklahoma City Redhawks uh, from a group that was led by the now disgraced former Secretary of the EPA Scott Pruitt. Ah. Um, and so we bought that in 2010, 
And when Mandalay, by the time Mandalay Baseball was sold in, in a series of transactions, selling teams and other things over a couple of years, in 2014, by then, Peter Guber was involved in the ownership of the L.A. Dodgers. And the Dodgers were looking to relocate their AAA affiliation from Albuquerque. Yeah. Uh, Albuquerque, beautiful stadium, incredible ownership. Johnny Traub, who's a UCLA alum, runs it. Supremely talented, smart, great guy. But there's altitude. And the altitude is similar to Denver. So you have all of those issues where is the hitting reliable? You know, is the data on hitting reliable? What are you doing to young pitchers who are getting rocked? And so Dodgers were looking to move their affiliation. This franchise was for sale. Peter did what Peter is awesome at. Um, (laughs) You know, he found a way to acquire it let the partners from Mandalay Baseball out who wanted to get out and brought in the Dodgers in a joint venture setting, which was similar to what we had done in both Staten Island and Scranton with the New York Yankees. There we were with the Oklahoma City. We rebranded at the Dodgers because, as Peter said, if you have a brand that is golden, why would you not use that golden brand? Sure. So... You know, it's funny because at the same time that was happening, LAFC was coming online. And so and it was all sort of headquartered in the same office on Wilshire Boulevard in a nondescript three story building that looks exactly like the nondescript three story building across the street. from it. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned Scranton Wilkes-Barre. I mean, other than the uh, the show, The Office and Dunder Mifflin, not too many people heard about that town, but. I spent my childhood going to Red Barons games because oh, my nice. was home in the Poconos, about two and a half hours outside of New York City. And the thing to do was to go watch the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Red Barons play the Sky Chiefs or, or some other team like that. So, yeah, I, I was kind old, of bummed uh, when they changed their name. At the old Lackawanna County Stadium. I've seen plenty of things there. I've seen plenty of bands there, too, uh, in, in that area. I've spent wow. – it's unbelievable the amount of time I've actually spent in Scranton. And you brought back all those memories by just talking about <laughs> yeah. AAA baseball. That's, that is crazy. And it's funny, the uh, producers or showrunners or whatever from the show at the time would come to the ballpark and just gather up. You know, do you guys have mugs? Do you have stickers, posters, schedules? Like, we <laughs> want to throw this stuff on the set to make it look authentic. So if you go back and, you know, rewatch, sure. you'll notice that periodically you will see SWB AAA swag floating around the office on the office. That's um, awesome. You know, let me ask you, you know, minor league baseball – is known for building itself kind of into the fabric of the cities they play in, right? Like, I, yeah. I've been lucky enough to go to a ton of different stadiums, Rancho Cucamonga, Scottsdale, the Memphis Redbirds, AutoZone Park yeah. is just beautiful. And, and go to Victory Field in Indianapolis, Scarf, that's a beautiful stadium, too. I, I would love to make my way out there. Um, the You know, you you begin to see the whole city 
you know, rallies around and is a part of what goes on day to day. But let me ask you, did that minor league baseball connection that you had, was that part of what helped shape the the philosophy of what has become LAFC's mantra, you know, one by one, street by street, block by block? A hundred percent. The, you know, at the core of what we did and our approach in minor league baseball was that connection with the community and being good citizens in whatever community we were in because you can't go into a town or a city or a village and just take right you just can't go to businesses and say sponsor me give me your money and go to you know the residents and say come buy my tickets and buy my beer and buy my hot dogs and I'm just taking, taking, taking. You know, you you have to establish that relationship. And where Mandalay Baseball was most successful in Dayton, Ohio, with the Dayton Dragons, um, where they're still, you know, when they're playing baseball, they're still on some ridiculous streak of sellouts long after, you know, we left. You you want to create, for lack of a better expression, a love affair with the community where it is a community and it isn't necessarily about winning and losing because in minor league baseball for the most part the baseball is not great you know bad things happen right you know at a frequency of at least 2x right errors <laughs> wild pitches passed balls hit batters all of that stuff is much more frequent And as the owner operator, you have zero ability typically to influence the product on the field, right? If if we had our druthers, Joey Votto would still be hitting bombs at fifth third field in Dayton, Ohio, (laughs) right? Or or Corey Seager would forever be the shortstop in Oklahoma City. Right. But not only do you not have control over that. You don't even know what's happening tomorrow, right? So you can't market even the players of the moment. But what you can market is an experience. Yeah. And and what you want is for people to have a great time and enjoy being in the building around other people, you know, and whether it's they enjoyed some cold beer or some ice cream or whatever it is um, and enjoyed in some form or fashion what was going on on the field. And in minor league baseball, you kind of do a little bit for everybody, right? So, you know, and, and we always talked about it being something that could be enjoyed across generations, which when you think about entertainment options, that's not easy. Cause even if we say, all right, well, let's all go to a movie. Well, what movie can you take a six-year-old kid, a 10-year-old kid, parents and grandparents, and everybody's really going to be happy about the selection? Not many. And so that's where you get into the between innings and in the stands, you know, for lack of a better term, shtick in minor league baseball. Um, So all of that, you know, influenced in some part the approach Because while we definitely have some control over what's going on on the field and 
you know, who is on the roster and who is playing. At the end of the day, when you sit back and listen to, you know, our friend Olaf Saplicki from Dortmund, and you learn about their club, and you come to understand that people are passionate about BVB, not because they win or lose. It's because it's their club, it's their community, it's their family, it's it's their you know religion. It's you know if Dortmund is playing, you are in your black and yellow, and you are yep. either in front of a television, in a bar watching a television or you're at Signal Laduna Park, or you've gotten in the car and driven to Munich or wherever. And so, you know, a lot of what we talked about in the beginning of the beginning was what is the right approach to building a community that is as immune as can be to the vagaries of wins and losses. And, you know, fortunately, we haven't had to test it all that much because, you know, Bob and John and Will and, you know, the rest of the staff, Mike, Ante, Zaki, Kenny, have done such a phenomenal job that, and I've said this before, walking into the bank is like walking into the old Chicago Stadium or the old or the United Center for a Bulls game in the Jordan era. Right. There's only one result that you're expecting. <laughs> you're going to right. win. And, right. and the only the only question is, you know, just like, well, what's Jordan going to do that's going to blow your mind? It's kind of <laughs> like, well, you know, what's Carlos or Diego or Brian, you know, going to do that blows your mind? Absolutely. I mean, so Larry, I mean, you mentioned him before. We've mentioned it plenty of times, and I'm sure our, our listeners have heard this name. But, you know, tell us about tell us really about that first time you met Peter Goober and how it changed the trajectory of your career. Yeah. Peter is a, you know, a force of nature, one of the most creative, smart, thoughtful, and at the same time, you know, caring and mentoring people that you would ever encounter. And for me, it absolutely changed my life. So, you know, it, and and again, you you just you can't script life. And so, you know, I got recruited to Mandalay Baseball by Howie Newchow. Howie, you know, I pack up my family. We move 2000 miles to L.A. And within a couple of months, Howie walks in and says, hey, I'm going to run sports at CAA with a couple of other people. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, so my first reaction is, oh, my God. Like, I cannot go home and tell Sherry that the guy who said, come on, we'll be Batman and Robin, we're going to do this together, is leaving. But what that did was that then put me in a much more day-to-day position of interacting with Peter. And, you know, so I have benefited immeasurably from just the opportunity speaking with and learning from and bouncing ideas off of uh, Peter. And you always know that you're going to hear something that is just this side of brilliant when he starts a sentence by saying, this isn't the right idea. I'm telling you, this is not the right idea. Don't do this. But just hear me out. 
And then it's always one of those, you know, like, oh, my God, why didn't I think of that, right? And so, you know, the the run at Mandalay Baseball was incredible. He then, as that was coming to an end, you know, it was a very interesting moment because there are other people involved in that business who you would have hoped or thought would have said, all right, Larry, you know, what can I do to help you? What are we going to do next? We got to figure out what you're going to do next. And the guy who actually initiated those kind of conversations was Peter. And ultimately, that's how I end up where I end up. And, and, and he was exceptionally artful about it because he just said, look, I'm doing this. Maybe there's something for you to do. I will not be the ultimate decision maker, right? So this isn't Mandalay Pictures. This isn't you know, the Golden State Warriors where, right. you know, Joe and I are co-managing partners. But, you know, I will introduce you to Tom Penn and we'll see if you two can't figure something out. And here we are, boys. <laughs> we, we, we wouldn't have it any other way, Larry. I mean, it, it's crazy how like your career has spanned. I mean, it basically brought you back to something that you loved as a child. You came back to the world of football. Like how excited were you at the prospects of working in a sport that you passionately loved growing up? I I shared this with John and Bob and some others. Um, you know, one of my favorite lifetime memories and one of my favorite movies, right, is The Miracle on Ice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there's that Boston University connection. Yep. Steve Gutenberg, right? That movie. Yeah, right. Um, no, the Disney movie. No, the Disney movie. Oh, okay. Al Michaels and all that. Yeah. Yeah, the... yeah. And so that speech that Herb Brooks gives in the locker room. Right. Where, Kurt Russell, right? Yes. Yeah. And he says, this is your time. Their time is done. Now go out there and take it. And how I interpolated that to apply it to LAFC and MLS was that as a guy who lived through decades, decades of, hey, just look at the numbers. Look at all these kids playing AYSO soccer. They're going to grow up. They're going to want to go watch it. At the professional level, when they grow up, they're going to buy tickets. They're going to show up. And decade after decade, league after league, it just didn't work. And even at various points over the first 20 years of MLS, and the commissioner talks about this often, you know, it was not all that certain that there was going to continue to be an MLS. And yet, as we were coming into the league and they were getting ready to celebrate their 20th anniversary, they had really done a good job of looking at what has been working, what isn't working, why, where, and why are certain things not one size fits all. It worked in Seattle, but it didn't work over here. But what you could see was, at least in my view was that the league was at that inflection point and the game was at that inflection point in the U.S. where 
if it was going to catch on and take off and be a part of the conversation for keeps as a major league level sport, this was the opportunity. And so, you know, I talked to Bob about this. Bob's a little bit older than I am. So, you know, his history with the game, obviously much deeper than mine, goes back a little bit further than mine. And, it, and, and you know, John, as a young man, took a chance, you know, not going to Stanford on a scholarship to go play in Europe. And so, you know, I would use that Herb Brooks, hey, this <laughs> is our time, you guys. We just got to go out there and take it. I think we've done okay. You know, a lot of work to be done. Story still remains to be fully told. But, you know, I think we're making progress on that continuum. For sure. For sure. I think you're doing a good enough job as it is. I mean, in your time at the helm, I mean, the club has received many accolades, not only on the pitch, but but off of it as well. I mean, you oversee a bunch of things. Like, how did it feel... And again, this is off the pitch type stuff. Like, how did it feel when so many departments that you supervise were recognized for their outstanding achievements? It it is it's the greatest. You know, whether it's you know, Orozco was the league's marketing executive of the year in 2018. Right. Our business analytics group is the back to back reigning and defending MLS <laughs> business analytics team of the year. Um, we just found out that Bernard Worrell, our director of broadcast and yep. Uli and Mark were nominated for an Emmy. Wow. Yep. And yep. You know, the, the uh, young ticketing folks, a, a good number of them led by Casey Sosa and Vinny Villarreal uh, have been recognized for their great work uh, with awards in the uh, you know MLS ticketing awards. Yep. And it goes, you know, Penn was Penn has won all kinds of awards. Our building has won awards. You know, we've been recognized by Fast Company. It's awesome because it's really crazy when you you sit in a room and it's you know, Alice Shang, who's the first employee who came over from the Clippers, Tom, myself, you know, Benny Tran, and you start talking about, and Jim Bailey, can't forget Jim Bailey, our yep. CFO, and much, much more. Um, you know, and you talk about what do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish? What do you want to stand for? And you talk a lot of <laughs> and, you know, we all know you got to the, the wrestling thing, you know, you gotta, you gotta walk the walk. You can't just talk the talk. And again, you know, as we talked about on other topics today, despite all the awards, there's a lot of work to do. And yeah. what's been important in my role has been, Hey, we celebrate that stuff because it's awesome. When Ryan Bashara, who runs our uh, data analytics and strategy group, gets named to the Forbes 30 under 30 in sports. That is a big <laughs> effing deal, right? The guy is awesome. And to see him get recognized like that is awesome. But we can't get consumed by reading our press clippings because sure. there's always, you know, there's always more better to be done. And so, um, 
it has been an incredible experience to be a part of an organization that has received this kind of recognition. Because as you guys know, because you're very close um, to a lot of people that, you know, work in the club and are involved with the club, people work their asses off. Oh, yeah. You know, this is not, you know, punching a clock nine to five. um, And there's nothing wrong with uh, a gig where you do that. But this is, you know, seven by 24, 365. And to see both groups within the organization, uh, individuals within the organization, the organization itself get recognized for the hard work, that's pretty special. Well, and let's not forget the award that you won as well this last year, the Doug Hamilton Executive of the Year Award. Don't forget to to toot your own horn. I know I know that we're always moving forward, and you're definitely more into the we over me, but we do have to mention, I mean, look, it's a big deal for us on our podcast. We've got the 2019 Doug Hamilton Executive yeah. of the Year yeah. on right now. Uh, as, as my wife would remind you, I still have to take out the garbage. Right? I was going to say, you're, you're also the executive vice president of your own house, right? So that's Yes, the, yes. Yeah. Definitely not the number one spot. But look, um, it was awesome. Uh, truly awesome. And like a, a lifetime highlight. But, you know, one of the great things about my role is, you know, as I sort of rattled it off, you know, I think I, I got credit for you know the great work that pat and ben chi and orozco have done with the supporter group and that marcus and imad and others have done building the brand and we put up good ticketing numbers and we've put up great partnership numbers you know and 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 so um i think as i said at the time it's just a reflection of the incredible work that the body of work that's been done across the organization that happens to all roll up into what has been, you know, a pretty great run thus far. So, so let me ask you, recently you joined our world, the world of podcasting. We talked about it a little bit with Shooting the Shot with Jordan sure. Harvey. You know, you've obviously made some appearances on some of the other, you know, hashtag LAFC pod fam. We love them. The Godfathers, Heart of LAFC. Episode 17, May 1st, 2017. We're yep. going, we're going in the Wayback way Machine here, right? Where yeah. it was just Jerry. <laughs> right, 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 that, right. That was almost a full year before LAFC, you know, had even played a game. And at the time, the team had only signed, I think, Carlos Alvarez, right? Like they literally had one player who, who actually wouldn't even wind up playing for us. Thinking back to that interview, thinking back to where you were in your mindset, 2017. Could you envision LAFC reaching the relative heights that we have, the club has received as quickly as it did? Here we are sitting, you know, just almost literally three years later. Wow. I think that there is no chance. You know, we, we dreamed a dream, but I would be kidding you and I'd be lying to myself if I said, oh, yeah, I knew. I knew I I felt like I felt like we had an incredible opportunity, you know, that was this mishmash of look at this market, but let's be serious. It's it's not just this market. Right. Right. Because and and not to speak ill of um, the dead, but 
you know, the XFL Wildcats were the lowest drawing team in the league. So yeah. just because you're in a big market doesn't make it happen. But we had that opportunity. We had the opportunity with the game and this, you know, the the fandom is there. People love the game. One of the great things that I have found, you know, when I was working in baseball, everybody talked to me about baseball, right? Right. Everybody found a way to turn the conversation to baseball. <laughs> but when people found out that I was involved in LAFC, a lot of the conversations were in more hushed tones where people would say, I just want you to know, I get up at 530 on Saturdays <laughs> and I go to a bar and I watch Chelsea mm. or, you know, oh, my God, I played in college or I played as a kid or my kids play and I love it and I would love to be able to go. Look, the only prediction I made that I can say I knew it yeah. was I told Tom Penn early, I mean, probably within the first five conversations we had, I said to him in the hallway on Wilshire Boulevard at the Mandalay Entertainment offices, if we do this, we will sell every ticket. And he looked at me, like I had, you know, three eyes and horns coming out of my head. <laughs> and and I just said, look, I mean, you know, we were selling 368,000 tickets or, or rather 568,000 tickets a summer to pretty bad single A baseball in Dayton, Ohio. Look at the size of the, the market in Dayton. Look at the size of this market. Sure. We're going to do it. But other than that, no chance. I mean, and, and, and I am always thinking about um, one of those first watch parties. It might have been the first watch party that Tom talks about where, you know, like seven people showed up and at least one of them, Fernando, was underage and shouldn't have been there in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So so let me ask you, you mentioned a little bit about what's gone, you know, better than expected or as you expected. Has there been anything that so far, here we are, you know, since 2014, so almost six years in, what quite hasn't reached the level that you've wanted it to just yet? Other than MLS Cup, we haven't hoisted one. Sure, sure. Yeah, and you can get John on and rail on him for that. Right, uh, for sure. Uh, <laughs> You know, look, I think we we can do a better job of a number of things, right? You know, from traffic getting into the parking lots, you know, <laughs> we keep trying, we study it, and, you know, we're on one of the busiest corners in L.A. straight up, but, hey, let's have a game on a Friday night at 7 <laughs> and see if anybody can get here on time, right? Um, and like you mentioned, sell, you know, how many thousands of tickets for the game, right? So Right. And then, you know, the, the in-venue can always be better. Try as we may to have staff that can answer all the questions. We do get feedback. We survey after every event. And there are always a number of responses that say, I couldn't find anybody to tell me this. Um, so we can do better at that. Um, we're constantly looking at uh, food selection, food pricing, uh, the service behind the food, the quality of the food, feel like we can always do better there. And, you know, we're working on it. And I mean, you've you know, got the Dole Whip. You know. The Dole Whip is pretty nice, man. 
But, yeah, but you know, that's a good example. You know, my wife has been saying for better than two years, how come I can't get ice cream? I want ice cream. Fair point. And then other people are like, I, you know, everybody's got a thing. And you think, oh, you know, that's a pretty good point. We just want Bohemia and Founders Club. That's oh, my all. God, okay. yes. We've been clamoring for it for years. If you know anybody at the club, Larry, if you could help us out with Bohemia. Now I know why you guys extended the invite. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> well played, boys. Well played. Um, and look, um, and you, you are, you, you both have been uh, consumers of things beyond just LAFC football at the bank. The bank is an incredible venue, and until we are active there, whether it's a birthday party for Philly in the Founders Club. <laughs> or it's, you know, some kind of international friendly or, you know, system of a down. We should be hosting events of some sort every day. And ultimately, you know, maybe more than one because, you know, you can have a corporate meeting in the fig club in the morning or the afternoon and you can have something else going on on the sunset deck at night. There's possibilities, depending on location, you can have things going on at the same time. So, you know, ultimately, I think we'd like the building to be, you know, at a point where people are calling us and we're just saying, sorry, you know, we're fully, the inn is fully booked. Right. So, yeah. And like, look, as we talked about earlier, there's a lot we can do better in the community. Um, We've done some great things. You know, you look at the... uh, the YLP graduation uh, from, I believe that yeah. was this weekend. And, you know, that has been an incredible program um, that has been incredibly impactful. Um, the futsal courts, our financial literacy program with Bank of California, you know, et cetera. But there's, there's always more that can be done. And, you know, we've got to do a better job of getting out there and doing it. Before shooting the shot, we'll go back yeah. to the, the conversation about podcasts. Before shooting the shot, had you hosted any podcast before? Was this something that was your idea? Was it pitched to you? No. <laughs> so if I had to say, it goes back to everybody's favorite uh, Emmy award-winning show, Beta Time. Right. <laughs> when Beta finally had me on... I just felt like, and I and Beta's a great friend and he's a great host, but I just felt like there were things he wasn't getting at that would have been more interesting, like talking about himself a little bit. And that's why somewhere in the middle of that episode, we flipped it around. And then I just, you know, being a wise ass, I had said to Jordan <laughs> and Beta, listen, if you guys have me on, I guarantee you the highest number of listen. (laughs) Most popular show you ever do. And, you know, we had a a great time doing it. There might have been some adult beverages involved that influenced (laughs) things. Um, And we had a blast. And and that was more of me asking them questions. But I did not aspire to do what you guys do. But... The story kind of goes that after the Penurol friendly, I was down in the loading dock where Harvey was standing with his mom and dad waiting to get in his car. And I said, what are you going to do? You know, you you can't stop. You had this thing going. What are you going to yeah. do? 
And he was like, well, maybe I should do it with you. And, you know, at first I was like, like, well, why would you do that? (laughs) And then we talked about it a little bit. And, you know, we also started talking about, all right, well, if we did it, could we get Will to come on? And I think Carlos owed Jordan and Beta because he was supposed (laughs) to do back to back. And for whatever reason, it didn't happen. So, you know, that was kind of uh, a card that Jordan had to play. And so we were like, all right, we'll give it a whirl. And then we all got sent home because we had tried to get Will booked earlier. And I think there might have been a couple of fits and starts. And you guys know how that goes with guests. And then, you know, it ultimately happened. And like I said, you know, it's kind of been interesting to just see what works, what doesn't work. It's hard when you're not in the same room to you know, not step on each other with questions. But, you know, it's been a fun thing. And, and you know, look, I don't, I, I think it might be like an old guy thing because I'm kind of an <laughs> older guy. And even though Harvey and Beta are young, much younger than me in, you know, MLS player ranks, they're sure. kind of the elder statesmen. So I think we just kind of hit it off as older dudes in our respective areas. And, you know, have developed a friendship that is outside of just, hey, how you doing on a game day as you're passing each other in the halls and the bowels of the bank. And it's been fun. So hopefully we will, you know, when life gets back to normal and hopefully that's sooner than later and we're all super busy, we'll still be able to, you know, carve out an hour and a half or whatever it is every week to chase somebody down and have them on the show. Sure. No, the number of guests that you had and the quality of guests has been outstanding. I mean, your trajectory with th- the quality of guests, at some point you're probably going to have the Pope on. I mean, you set the bar really, well, really high. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, well, at, Carlos. At one, point, at one point, Harvey, and I can't remember if this was on the on the show or not, did the old, well, you know, I got this guy, you got that guy, you're going to get that guy, and I don't know. And this is Harvey. He's like, I guess I'm going to have to get Obama. at a point it gets pretty difficult that would be pretty impressive though by the way if If we pulled obama that would be that would be pretty impressive so let me ask you though we asked this to beta beta by the way was our guest on episode 101 um incredible interview we had a good time we just dropped that last night we asked him the same question so we'll ask you how awesome is jordan harvey we love jordan so much how awesome is jordan jordan harvey um i would say the same thing about beta and harvey two of the nicest most genuine people you would ever meet both have incredibly wonderful spouses and you know for me it's just been it's been an awesome bonus like i did not i did not expect or even wish that at the beginning of this once we had a roster that somehow doing what I do in my role, staying in my lane, that I would have an opportunity to develop friendships with any of these guys. And those two in particular, I got to know really well. And, you know, not to uh, take away from Harvey, because the question was about Harvey. (laughs) Um, But um, there was just something about that duo, right? Yeah. Just great. 
great, great people. And, you know, in your life, you, you go on your different adventures through work or socially or through sports or whatever, and you meet people. And a lot of that is in the moment because when you no longer work at a place, those people that you seem to have lunch with every day, it just kind of slowly dissipates and, you know, they're not a part of your life and it's nobody's fault and, you know, there's no ill will. It's just kind of life takes you that way. I feel like, you know, with those two guys, those are people I'm going to know forever. Sure. And it's been pretty special. Sure. True defenders of the bank, those two. I mean, we may call yeah. ourselves that, but those guys Amen. are actually it. Amen. Right. Now, we, we've talked about supporter culture before. We, we, we mentioned Dortmund, but seeing things like that yellow wall, what does it mean to have LAFC represented so well on the MLS and the world stage by the 3252? Oh, man, I will tell you, you want to talk about a, you know, you asked me about, you know, did I think that this could be, you know, great and wonderful as it's turned out to be the one thing i mean you want to talk about something that has not just exceeded expectations but has absolutely blown them sky high it's the 3250 <laughs> um because and it's funny you know tom was living in portland at a time when he got into the pursuit of you know, an MLS franchise with Henry Nguyen and Ruben and Vincent. And, you know, he he got it. Like, Timber's Army, you, you need that presence and that show to be part of the experience to, to make this really work. And yet, we were very tempered in our aspirations and our expectations. And it was like, all right, if we, if we do this safe standing thing, and it's got a capacity of, you know, whatever, 3,200, 3,252. Right. You know, maybe we get 700 actual supporters in the first year. And then maybe we can double it by the second year. <laughs> Just hearing you may- say that makes me laugh. I'm sorry. Right? <laughs> and then maybe by the third or fourth year, it, you know, it'll be full and, and, and we will have gotten there. And... <laughs> You know, sort of juxtaposed with that is one of my favorite stories is we were in Salt Lake for game two, right? Yeah. Yep. We beat in Seattle. We go to Salt Lake. We're on the suite level at the end. And to our left are Real Salt Lake fans. And they have a relatively modest sized <laughs> uh, supporter section that, you know, isn't the most vocal or organized in all of MLS. And partway through that match, you know, we're having some, you know, friendly conversation, banter, whatever. Guy leans over and says, and he points to the supporter end of Rio Tinto Stadium and says, you guys are new, so how are your supporters going to know how to do that? (laughs) And I kind of had the, uh, I think you call it a wry smile. Right. And tilted my head and said, I think we're going to be okay. I think we're going to be okay. They've been practicing at the parking lot on Sundays. I think we're going to be okay. And, you know, not only have we been okay, but it's been this unbelievable rolling thunder, beautiful community, eclectic personalities, 
you know, representative of L.A., but somehow, and I don't know how they do it, match by match, season by season, it gets better and it's more powerful. It's more engaging. The TIFOs have been awesome, but somehow they find a way to, you know, outdo themselves. And with the chance and just some of the stories with, you know, like Jump for LA Football Club is a thing. And the hoo-ha. It's just, it's been amazing. So, you know, and I think the, 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 the great thing about it is world of global football has taken notice. Sure. Sure. All right. So, Larry, this might be kind yeah. of hard because we know how you like to answer questions kind of meandering. So yes. we, we know you got to get going. Yes we want to no. throw out yeah. we want to throw out some some rapid fire yes, kind of WWF style questions. So here we go. Okay. Which two players on LAFC would make the best tag team? Uh, Dio and Mark Anthony K. Oh, I like that. If those two are your tag team champions, the Intercontinental Championship, usually that went to the player who might be next in line for a shot of the big belt, you know, wrestler had a ton of personality, could kind of carry the show all by himself. Your Ultimate Warriors, your Bret Hart, your Shawn Michaels. Who would be the Intercontinental Champion of LAFC? I would go with uh, Brian. Nice. Nice. All right. And this is my last one. And then Philly's got a couple. LAFC's got about 30 owners. The Royal Rumble has about 30 men in the ring. If the LAFC owners had their own Royal Rumble hosted at Bank of California Stadium, who's coming out winning the Royal Rumble? I think it comes down to Magic Johnson and Tony Robbins <laughs> just as a, as, a, as a matter of sheer <laughs> physical size. Yeah. And I think you have no choice, but you got to go with the uh, the former professional athlete, MVP, Irvin Magic Johnson. I love it. I love it. All right, Philly, you're up. A couple quick ones. All right, now this goes for any sport. Favorite team growing up? Chicago Cubs. All right. Favorite player? Norm Van Leer on the Bulls. Okay. Storm and Norman. All right. Uh, Best advice received in corporate career? Peter Goober, you have to be an active participant in your own rescue. Right. Ooh, I like that. All right. And then, uh, Philly, why don't we end it on that last question that you've got up next? Yeah, absolutely. Your favorite LAFC memory? Utterly impossible. However, <laughs> and so many of them have been emotionally charged that have led to tears of joy. And while it is hard to displace the opening night at the bank, Laurent Simon, and maybe this is because Slim Coda has been wearing me <laughs> down over time, <laughs> lack of love for the former captain. I got to tell you, the most emotional and rewarding and cathartic experience in my sporting life, and this includes the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series, the Chicago Blackhawks winning three Stanley Cups in my lifetime, the Chicago Bulls winning six NBA titles, and the Chicago Bears winning the 1985 Super Bowl <laughs> with the Super Bowl shuffle and the punky QB. Right. The night that we beat the Galaxy was the most epic experience in my life. And I was, for, for the last couple of goals, 
I was on the one end of the North End Terrace with Richard Roscoe and his family and was afraid to move because I didn't want to move and go see my family until I was confident that it wasn't going to go sideways again. Sure. So at 90 minutes plus something, I ran across the North End Terrace and up the stairs to the sunset deck where my family was sitting to take in, you know, that final whistle with them because they've been on the journey with me since October 2014. Um, So that's the one. And and I am sorry I violated the rules by going on yet another (laughs) walk, my brothers. This is beautiful. Beautiful answer. We would have it no other way. And I know, Larry, you've been extremely generous with your time. We know you yep. got to get going. Oh, my pleasure. But this has been one of the thrills of our first 103 episodes is to be able to finally sit down and talk with you and just hang out and have another wonderful time here on Defenders of the Bank. Again, thank you so much, Larry Friedman, Executive Vice President and uh, Chief Business Officer for LAFC. Thank you, guys. It's been awesome. I miss seeing you in the Founders Club, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to exchange some hearty hugs in the Founders Club in the not-too-distant future. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. Thank you you so much, Larry. All righty. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. And you guys know how we like to end all of our episodes. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.